0: We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Well, this morning again, we are studying the book of Titus. We find ourselves in verse 10 to 16 today, If I were to give this a title, it would be simply this, The Purpose of Elders. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question, have you ever considered your purpose in life? Because the reality is, is I believe, we live in a time when many walk through and meander through life without ever fully grasping or understanding the purpose in which God has created them for. Many go through life like driftwood, being tossed to and fro, not really understanding the significance of why the God of heaven has created you and breathed into your life a soul that's living, a soul that's designed with a God-sized purpose. And as a result, people come to a place in life, maybe even to the end of their life, and they come to grips with the reality that they've lived out most, if not the entirety of their life, never fully grasping their purpose. That would be extremely discouraging. And the reality is, is we don't know when that end will come. It could come today, it could come tonight. Death is creeping at the door. And so I want us to consider our purpose. You see, your purpose is important. And I want you to consider that today. For you mothers, have you considered your purpose as a mother? As a grandmother, as a great grandmother. How about the fathers? Have you considered your purpose? What God has designed for you, and are you fulfilling your purpose? For the young persons here, what, what is it that God has purposed in your life? Because I remember when I was young, there were so many opportunities and so many ways in which we could go to accomplish anything and everything we wanted in life. What is your purpose? And are you fulfilling it? Listen, it's very vital that we grasp, that we understand, that we acknowledge the purposes for which God has designed us. And not only should we understand our purpose, we should walk in them. We should fulfill the purpose. It's not enough to simply know our purpose. It's another thing to know and to actually live that out for the glory of God. Because listen, if we don't understand the purpose, we'll simply wander through life without any significance for Christ for our community, for our families, for our church, for our lives. So this morning I want us to consider our purpose, specifically in relation to elders in the local church. What are the responsibilities and expectations of leaders within the church? Now, while you may be here this morning, you say, "I'm not an elder. I'm not qualified to be an elder. I don't even really have a desire to be an elder. I can just shut my ears off, and and this has nothing to do with me." No, let me. It has everything to do with you, because these are the marks of a good leader. And I suggest to you that every single one in this room is a leader. Someone is following you. Someone is watching your every move. And the very things you do will lead someone someone in that direction. You may be a leader of your family. You may be the leader of a ministry. You may be the leader of an organization. You may be the leader of a business. And all of these are a great reminder of a great quality of a leader wherever God has you for whatever God's purpose is for your life. So we need to make sure that we understand that we've been called to lead with purpose. That we be faithful in that. In regards to a healthy church, as we walk through Titus, we will discuss the roles of every aspect and element of the healthy church. So we, we, we began with the conclusion or the greeting and the first few verses, one to four, and then we're going to be looking now at biblical leadership. And really, two sermons in that section, five to nine, dealt with the qualification of leaders and now 10 through 16 deal with the purpose of leaders. And from there, we'll go into the biblical members and biblical partners. And we will break those down individually as well. Five sermons in the area of biblical membership, two, sermons, three more sermons in the area of biblical partners, and then a conclusion for which Paul gives to Titus. But don't lose your ear this morning if you're not an elder, because the reality is, is while God may not call you to be an elder, you'll understand what they are to be doing in the church and how you can apply those very same aspects to the life you live and the leadership for which you hold in your daily life. So let's begin, if you will, by turning to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. He says, For there are many rebellious people, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonor gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Verse 13, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprimand them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths or commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Listen, to the pure, all things are pure. But those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. But by their deeds, they deny Him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. There are really three things I want us to gather from the text today that I believe will help us as we define the purpose of elders in the local body of Christ as we want to be healthy leaders, not only in the church, but in our families, in our communities, and wherever it is that God has you. How can we apply and understand the purpose and apply these timeless truths to the leaders which God has indeed called you to and to lead others well? So first I want you to see that elders slash leaders must understand the condition. Secondly, elders must understand the command. And thirdly, elders must understand the contrast. Let's begin by looking first at the fact that elders must understand the condition. We have just previously discussed Significant requirements for the criteria of one to be appointed and applied as an elder in the local body of Christ. And Paul has ended this list of qualifications with the result of the man who is faithful to the Word of God. And he says here in Titus, these qualities were the result of this man's ability Verse 9b, both to exhort, he says, in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. Notice what Paul says. For there are many rebellious people, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Listen, the condition for which Titus is going to find the church in Crete was in a condition that needed to be adjusted. It needed to be set straight. Last week we talked about the, the Greek word that, that brought about ortho, which means orthodontist in English. It, it, it's about someone who takes something crooked and makes it straight realigns it, and that's what Paul is telling Titus he is going to have to do because he is going to find that the condition of the church for which he is about to approach is full of many rebellious people. Given the idea that there isn't simply just a few, there seems to be a plurality, there seems to be a lot, there seems to be a substantial amount of rebellious people On the island of Crete. Especially in relation to the false leaders. The false teachers. And thus shows us that if Titus is going to be effective in ministering to the needs of his community. The church. Then he must be a man who understands the very condition of the people for which he is going to minister to. I mean, it's already been told throughout the scriptures that they would indeed find themselves in these circumstances. Nothing new. Paul has already been warning and has warned that this would be the case. So I don't believe that any of this takes Titus by surprise because we see here Paul has already warned in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, when he says, I know that after my departure, wolves, savage wolves, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Thus, the shepherd must be a, a leader who understands the condition of the people. He also warned in Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. I, if we... <laughs> would just be obedient to the scriptures how much better would our lives be he warned in second corinthians chapter 11 verse 12 to 15 he warned in ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 he warned in second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 to 12 he, he warned in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4 to 6. He warned in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 13. He warned also in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. And on and on and on and on he's warned that listen, after his departure, these things would happen. And thus is why I asked Mark to read. Ephesians 5. Paul is continually warned. The church. That they would face these kind of things. So so don't let it be a surprise to you. Shocked that these things are a reality in our culture. Of this contemporary Christianity of our day. That is a thousand miles wide and only one inch deep. He knows that he's going to face these things. And for Titus it would be no different. He would need to understand the condition of the people that he is ministering to. And listen, the reality is you can apply this truth to your own life, no matter who you are. And the best place to start, I believe, is to evaluate our own personal condition, the condition of our heart. Have we thought about that lately? See, it's really easy to see everybody else's condition. Wicked this, wicked that. We're all wicked here, wicked there, wicked there, wicked everywhere. But when is the last time we've evaluated our own heart under a microscope? It's easy to make judgments on everybody else. But when we turn those three fingers that are pointed back at us, We can become acquainted with ourselves quite easily of how much need there is in our own lives to be changed for the glory of God. The Bible still remains true, doesn't it? It says there is none righteous, no, not one. So the reality is, is we need to start with an evaluation of our own heart. Is our heart pure thought in Christ. That truth can apply to every reference in our lives. How's our family? What's the condition of our family? Not your family, not their family, your own family, for which you are father, mother, grandparent, great-grandparents. How's the condition of your own family? And how about applying it to our marriages? How's the condition of our household, our, 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 our relationship with our spouse? Like we, we, we need this regular evaluation of our own circumstances for which we live lest we find ourselves constantly looking one way and never looking at ourselves. And if we're going to change in this life, it's going to start here, not there. Whether it's a relationship in your business or a relation to your ministry, what's the condition? You can respond once you have investigated and once you have admitted the need for purification, and when you genuinely see your need for purification, it makes everybody else's less worrisome. When we're worried about ourselves more than we're worried about everybody else, everybody else's sin, is less important than our own. So it begins within our own selves to make an investigation of the condition of our hearts. Listen, the idea remains the same if we're going to be effective in making straight that which is crooked. We have to begin by understanding the condition. This is what Paul wants Titus to understand. He's preparing him. He's telling him what it is that the condition of the people for which he is now be going to begun planting elders in all of these churches. What they are going to face as a church. And thus, it's something we need to grasp, and especially in our own lives, but also not only in our lives, in light of being a healthy church. That's the context for which we find Titus speaking, or Paul speaking to Titus, his relation to the local church there on the island of Crete. But nevertheless, that timeless truth, I think, is beneficial for all of us to consider, being not everyone in this room is an elder, bishop, overseer, pastor. Same person, same thing. So, what's the condition? Well, the condition that had crept in here. Was that there were many rebellious people. It simply means there were a bunch of flagrant lawbreakers, is how the, the, the BDAG explains it. It seemed to be the condition of the community, and thus it should prepare Titus to understand if he's going to be effective, how he is going to approach these folks. Because the reality is, is when we can grasp and understand the condition, we can better begin to minister to that need. So for example, if we're going to be effective in our own church, then we need to understand the condition of the people. In our community, and therefore consider addressing the theological aspects for which encourage growth and help the local body of Christ grow spiritually for the glory of God. For Titus, he was up against this large group of people that were consistent lawbreakers. But he doesn't end there. He continues to explain the circumstances for which the condition for which Titus was coming into this ministry. He says, for there are many rebellious people, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And from this, what we see and what we understand is that they have this, this really this group of legalistic, pharisaical people who are rebellious in their own hearts. They're breaking their own standards. Remember, these Jews lived under the law. They wanted to follow A, B, C, and D and all of the everything else. And yet they were breaking their own standard. They were empty talkers. In fact, they were talking about accomplishing this and accomplishing that, fulfilling these laws and that law when in really in in need, they needed the gospel of grace. For they couldn't fulfill those things. Listen, the solution to people's change of heart is not a set of rules or standards. God gives those. God expects us to follow his rules and his standards. He expects us to walk in holiness and in sanctification and being changed. Why? Because you are a new creation in Christ. If you've been saved, you're a new creation in Christ. What? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is a legitimate change in our lives. We need to be changed by the obedience to the Gospel. So you have kids who are rebellious. Listen, God is the only one who can change their heart. A hard issue. You have a group of people that want to teach salvation by works like they are these Judaizers here. Listen, you have to preach the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and change the hearts of people. It's the work of God to convince them of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our job to open our mouths and share the hope of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to come in and regenerate the heart, to make them alive together in Christ. Nevertheless, the method never changes. So the reality is is here, they're discussing all this and all that and everything, but that which will change their heart. is that relevant in our day? Of course it is. Because let me tell you what, the political atmosphere, the the church atmosphere that's invading this nation will never be fixed apart from the gospel. It's wicked. It's evil. And may I remind us all that it's a sin issue. What's the solution to the problem? Listen, every sermon has a problem, a solution, and a result. And the problem we're facing in this nation is a sin problem. The solution is Christ. And the result is a changed heart with new desires. Expecting people to act right when they're lost, not saved, unborn again is craziness. It's like telling a dog to act like a deer or deer to act like a dog and bark. These people were empty talkers. Doesn't matter how many rallies we do, doesn't, doesn't matter how loud we scream, how frustrated we get. Listen, God is the only one that is going to solve the problem of this world. And He has solved the problem through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We What we have to do is learn to trust God in His Word. That it is truly the Word of God that changes hearts. It's the power of the Spirit of God that comes in and gives new life. But these had false hope. These folks gave messages that were like the teacher and Snoopy or whatever that cartoon is, where going to wah, 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 You couldn't understand anything they were saying. I love what Johnny Mack says. I call him Dr. John MacArthur, sorry. He says this, These words are smooth, and they are cleverly disguised their falsehoods in terms that make them seem truthful, frequently using biblical words and phrases that are distorted and taken out of context. But what they teach is brief of truth. It's without truth. Their preaching and teaching is based on the, mis, the, the, the misusing of their own warped imaginations, speculations, and knowledge set up against the Word of God. He continues that these folks, because of their disobedience, verse 11 says these are ones who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, they're teaching things that that, that should not teach for the sake of dis, dishonor and gain dishonest gain. Listen, they, they misuse the Word of God and it affects the body of Christ. Now we live in a day when the social media platforms are filled and I mean unbelievably with false teachers. Television full of false teachers. Paul had announced the reality that the Gentile believers, listen, they didn't have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. That that argument had already been performed and talked to with the other apostles. And and they all agreed that that this gospel of grace was, was sufficient. But there must have been some activity on the island of Crete for which this was permeating the church. For which they refused to believe in Jesus Christ. Seemingly were still trying to, to cause a problem in the local church about l- law-based Grace. <laughs> You know, the Judaizers thought that they needed to maintain all of the rituals, all of the laws, all of the standards, by which then and only then could they really be Christians. But these false teachers were upsetting families with their works-based salvation, claiming that they needed to be obedient to the Jewish law to become a Christian. Namely, they needed to be circumcised. And it was upsetting whole families. And it says that they, they seemed that they were doing this so that they could gain dishonestly. I mean, Paul warned Timothy about ungodly and unmoral men who entered the household in Second Timothy 3.6 and captivated weak women weighed down with their sins, led on by various impulses. Listen, we have to be very discerning of the condition of people for which we minister to if we are going to be effective. Because if they are not, if we are not careful, we could essentially misuse the word of God to try to impact and to make change that was never designed for me and you to make change, but rather the word of God to make the change. My message is always consistent. We can't change men's hearts. And that's why he says, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit can do more in two seconds than I can do in two years. And real, true, genuine revival in this nation will be based on the living hope of Jesus Christ, repentance of sins and a new life in Christ. Until hearts are changed, there will be no change. It'll just keep getting worse. So how do we solve the problem? Well, we preach the gospel. We share the hope of Christ. So we, we, we would do well like Titus to consider the condition. And here we find that Paul reminds him of the current circumstances and conditions for which he will be found in this church. We can apply this to our own lives and our own circumstances. That we can determine the condition of our situation and circumstances, then understand what the Scriptures uh, say so that we can understand what we need and how things need to be done so that we can honor God with our lives. The condition for which Titus found the church was full of rebellious people who talked a lot and yet said nothing. And were deceived and were deceiving others with their false teachings. It was bad enough, listen, that even one of them gave a testimony of their own prophets. When he says here in verse 12, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are liars, always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So it would not be surprising that Paul's testimony of the Cretans would match up with their own testimony from their own people. They didn't like to work. They just liked to eat. That sounds like America or what? So the condition of the situation for which Titus finds himself is not an easy situation. It's a big task. It won't be a simple task. But it will take the faithfulness and execution on just what Paul instructs. So so it's very important we understand the condition as leaders. But secondly, we must understand the command. Paul jumps right into instruction. Or you could say that, that Paul commands Titus because of the condition of the church, because of the evil that has infiltrated the church. And thus he says in verse 13, this testimony is true. Just what you said about the Cretans is a true testimony. For this reason, reprimand them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Basically what Paul is saying is that because the church has been infiltrated with these liars, these evil beasts and lazy gluttons, you elders, you leaders, act swiftly. He says to reprimand them severely. This is strong language. This is strong, tough terminology. The word here, reprimand, is in the imperative mood. It's a command. He commanded that He reprimand them severely. When have we ever heard that in the church when someone sins? That's the command. It means bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing and convicting them. If you take this application and you apply it to your life, in your business, in your family, and in the church, think about how different this world would be. But too many of us in the church and in the family and in the workplace and in our communities and in our ministries and our organizations have failed to implement this. And we've advocated our responsibility from the command of Almighty God who is speaking through this apostolic apostle with God-given authority for which he commands the leaders to reprimand severely. And I think when we apply this to our own lives, I go, as a father, God's called me to lead my children. If you you advocate your responsibility as a father to reprimand your children, I don't care what age they are. There is not some miracle age that makes a man a man. We, we, We need to tell our children what's right and reprimand them when they're wrong. Do it in love, of course, but do it. Because we have a generation of kids who have been brought up, never reprimanded. All the police may come lock me up. Who cares? Go to jail for something good. Reprimand your kids. Lead well. Because I believe this nation is the way it is because the family has failed. We can blame it on the church, but listen, it starts in the home. This is only what we do for an hour and a half. There's absolutely no way we can expect just an hour and a half to choose to change our lives. Listen, this is where it begins. This is the huddle. This is the call, the play, to action. But it happens in the home. It happens in our workplace. It happens in our ministries, wherever God has you. A mother, a father, again... These are the atmospheres for which we have to be obedient to the Word of God. Reprimand them severely so that they may be found in the faith. Strong terminology. But it's more just telling them what they're wrong. Telling them about their issues. He says reprimand them severely. Which simply means to cut. Like as with a knife or with an axe. I'm not telling you go cut your kids up with an axe. But we need to do it severely with penetrating force. Namely, the Word of God. Because it's hard to argue with the Word of God, isn't it? You just think about your own life. And if you had somebody that was willing to stand up for you, And to tell you that's wrong, that's dishonoring to God, how much better we would be as a nation, as a church, as a family. But we have become cowards in this nation. The pulpits have become cowardly for political correctness. Well, let me tell you what. Political correctness is one of the reasons we are what we are as a nation now. It's time we become biblically correct. And start speaking the truth of God's Word. And letting everybody else decide what they're going to do. But as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. They were to ultimately, as it says in verse 11, silence or muzzle for the purpose of correcting their doctrinal error and their personal sinfulness. Listen, the command was, listen, to correct them severely with intentions of of what? Bringing them back. Bringing them back to understanding sound doctrine, to understanding their faith. Listen, the reality is sometimes the best way to love someone is to correct them rather than patting them on the back while they go to hell. Sometimes correction is painful. Nevertheless, it's necessary. And sometimes when we don't get corrected, God corrects us. Let me give you an example. If you were to get a knife and you were to go stick it in that uh, socket over there and I didn't see it as your father, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you, you're about to get a discipline. (laughs) You're about to learn the hard way. It's going to reprimand you. It's going to tell you don't ever do that again. If you have an opportunity to do it again. But nevertheless, the correction, while it may be painful, is necessary in order to get back into right thinking. Someone once said that, I love this quote, I don't know who it is. God the Holy Spirit is the surgeon of the soul who only cuts to achieve a cure God, God's desire is that we be reconciled that's our that should be our hearts never to demean never to abuse but always to point back to right thinking So we have to be careful as leaders in and out of the church to do what we do with love and intention to bring a person back into right fellowship, back into right understanding, back into right sound doctrine. And thus we cannot contradict the rest of Scripture in order to do what dishonors God and claim it's honoring to God. No, 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 reminds us that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in His opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth which may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive by Him to do His will. Listen, God never calls us to contradict His Word in order to do something, some level of correction. Whether it be in the church or in our families, or our ministries, our workplace, it should be done with care and compassion while still being stern. Nevertheless, it has to be done God's way. And it begins by being done. It's not enough to know it. We have to implement it. We have to do it with God's methods and God's intentions in place, which is always to restore a brother or sister back into a right relationship with God. It's always the key is restoration. So reprimand them severely, says in verse 13. And in verse 14, he reminds them not paying attention to the Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. In other words, the Cretans are facing, ultimately, the Galatian heresy. They're facing the very things, the very same things that they faced in Galatia. Look at that again not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men, listen, key, who turned away from the truth. This is someone who once was established and heard the truth, was under the truth, and maybe even trusted in the truth. And so what they're facing, the fact that these false teachers in the Cretan church were identified as man who turned away from the truth. And it indicates... That they had been exposed to it and later rejected it in favor of Satan inspired man made methods, precepts, and traditions. And I call it the Galatian heresy because Paul fought that in the church of Galatia. A matter of fact, he says in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 of Galatian, he says, I am amazed. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really, uh, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to what we have preached, he is to be accursed. As we've said before, we now say it again. If anyone preaches you a gospel contrary to what we, you have received, he is to be accursed. He, he, what he's saying there is damned to hell. Anathema. If I can give it that strong language. Paul doesn't come right out and tell us here in Titus the exact heresy or the Jewish myths. There are lots of them many which have infiltrated the church today in so-called Christianity, this Eastern mysticism that has infiltrated the modern-day Christianity. But historically speaking, this idea of Judaizers was what he dealt with against the Galatians. Regardless, Paul simply reminds us, pay no attention to whatever it is they are teaching. You can argue all day about what's being taught. It doesn't say. Nevertheless, He says, ignore it. Pay no attention to it. And again, as I woke up this morning reading some Scripture, I started thumbing through some things, and I saw a video of Islam, and they were talking about Jesus, and it became very apparent very quickly. They were trying to discredit the deity of Christ. So what did I do? Right on past. I ain't got time for that. It's heresy. Forget about it. Just move on. Let it go. Because the devil's crafty. And if he can plant the seed of doubt in your mind, later it might come to sprout. So 1 Timothy, he's already said in chapter 1, verse 4 to 7, just as I urge you upon my departure... For Macedonia to remain on an effort so that you would instruct certain people to not teach strange doctrines nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to useless speculation rather than advancing. Now, this is military terminology rather than advancing the plan of God, which is by faith. So, I urge you now. Listen, don't be distracted by all of the loud racket over here. Be a soldier on task for the gospel. Let the rowdy be rowdy. But you be very intentional in preaching the gospel. Sharing the truth of God's word. For which many of you do, and I'm very proud to be a part of a church who is infiltrating the community, infiltrating social media, and infiltrating the arenas that God has placed in your laps with the Word of God. Because listen to me very clearly, it is effective. The Word of God will not return void. And so that's vitally important. He says here in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for a time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn their ears from the truth And what? They will turn aside to myths. Paul says, don't, don't let it happen. Ignore it. Stop listening. So listen, nothing new to pay attention to here. Let it go. Don't argue with people. Don't waste your time. Press on. Become infiltrated in the real necessity and that is gospel ministry. The gospel of grace, which Paul so clearly articulated in Titus 3, 4, and 5. Press on. Don't get wrapped up in things that make no difference. So it's important that we leaders, elders, that we understand the condition, number one. But secondly, we understand the command, and that is that we speak up against that which is false. That we reprimand severely with love and grace and mercy, but with expectation of drawing them back into a right relationship with Christ. But thirdly, I want you to understand elders must have and understand the contrast. Now there's a great contrast between truth and error, between evil and righteousness, between good and bad. And there is much confusion in our culture that wants to try to overlap the two to make that which is evil good and that which is good evil. But nevertheless, the leader must have a discernment of contrasting good and evil in your own home, and in your own business, wherever it is and whatever it is you're doing, you should be able to have a discernment of good and evil. So when someone says, this is good and okay, but the Scripture says it's bad and not okay, who cares what they think? They don't get paid to think. You ever heard that? That's what my boss used to tell me. Well, I thought, you know, I don't pay you to think. Just do what I tell you to do. In some sense, that's the reality with the Word of God. It doesn't matter what we think is good or, or bad or, or evil. And it, God's Word defines what is right and what is good and what is pleasing and what is honorable. Everything else is man's method. And so Paul continues in verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now get ready, buckle up your bootstraps, because this one is liable to kick you right between the eyes. Because it did for me. Here's a great example of the contrast that Jesus pointed out in relation to the inner and to the outer righteousness. Luke eleven thirty-seven 37 to 30, uh, 41. Now when he had spoken, the Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. But when the Pharisee saw this, he was surprised that Jesus had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisee, clean on the outside of the cup and of the dish, but your inside is full of greed and wickedness. You foolish one. Did he who made the outside not make the inside also? But give that which is within as a charitable gift, and then all things are clean for you. Another word, what Jesus is saying is this. When a person is pure in heart, when his heart is pure, his mind is pure. His perspectives on things are pure. Why? Because his heart is pure. Basically what he's saying is what's in you will come out. You know the old saying, you you are what you eat. And if what you are on the inside is purity, then purity will expose itself outwardly through you. If there's wickedness in you, then wickedness will permeate out of you. That, that, listen, that wickedness will expose itself outwardly, externally. It will expose itself by your deeds. And thus Jesus warns, you will know them by their fruits. What kind of fruit do we produce as Christians? Because we can put fake fruit on the tree and make it look good. But if it ain't from a pure heart, it won't be true, purified fruit. If the root is rotted, so the fruit will be rotted. This inward purity always results in outward purity. It's a product of what's in you. Listen, it's, it's not about behavior modification. Too many times we talk about behavior modification. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Don't misunderstand me, that's not what I'm saying. Because you can do all those things and still have impure motives in your heart. What I'm saying is that it's natural. The desire to do and to live and to honor God with your life and with the things you say and with the things you do and the things you watch and the things you hear and the things you consume, those are the reality of who you are. It's about behavior identification. Mm You I want to be identified as someone who honors God, not because I'm something special or someone holy or someone righteous, but because I'm a child of the King. So that the pure old things are pure, but those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their consciences are defiled. Therefore, their actions are going to reveal what's in them. When a good leader is a good leader, whether it's in the church or in the home, or in your business or in your life, you'll be able to determine what's going on in their lives by evaluating the fruit. So we have to be careful about observing the contrast between word and deed. The old saying is, and I tell this to my children all the time, Pick your friends wisely. Be wise about who you invest your life into. Because the reality is, those who claim one thing and live another are not worthy of your time. And if we're going to be honest, here's the real deal just because you have good friends don't mean they're perfect. But good friends hold each other accountable. Because I know, you know, I ain't perfect. And I know that you know, that I know you ain't perfect. And therefore, when you see me doing that which dishonors God, you should, because you're my friend and you want to walk with me in progressive sanctification, and we both know that there is none righteous, no, not one, that we can encourage one another when we're wrong. That's a real friend. A fake friend encourages you to do that which you know is not pure to God. So be careful. Pay attention to the behavior. Because those that are defiled, nothing is pure about them. Both in their mind and in their consciences. They're defiled. Nothing is pure about them. Both again in their mind and their conscience. They have no desire of repentance in their heart. And if you come this morning and that's you, you ought to be scared out of your britches if you can just continue to walk in sin and you begin to justify all this immoral behavior, listen, it just proves that there's no conscience, there's no Spirit of God convicting your spirit, convicting your heart. The old saying is, actions speak louder than words. And the reality is, is sometimes I'm reminded that I cannot hear a word you're saying because your actions speak so loudly. So we need to be ready to discern the contrast between good and evil, right and wrong, wicked and evil, sinful and not sinful. But if there is no conscience, there is no spirit convicting within you. If you can walk in habitual disobedience, you might fool somebody, but the man who is pure in his heart and wants to walk in holiness, you will never fool him and you might even fool him but you can't fool god and at the end of the day who does it really matter <laughs> oh i you know i'm a godly man i'm a righteous man oh good for you Stuart. i'm proud of you You're doing great pastor but if i walk in habitual sin and i stand before god that's all that matters because he will know it all because he sees it all so in other words their actions speak louder than their words Because of their vile behavior, their ongoing lifestyle of habitual sin and disobedience, the Scripture says they are worthless for any good deed. Now, they're not worthless. That's an important distinction. But their deeds are non-existent. You see, God gives them worth. He created you. He created all of humanity. He he, he created you in His very image. You have worth. You have value. And thus, he commands Titus to reprimand them severely. Why? Because God loves them and wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And thus, he wants them reprimanded severely so that they might come back to being sound in the faith. That they might stop rejecting the truth which they have already heard. So it's a twofold warning here. This is to don't be the man who knew the truth and is now turned away from the truth, believing a lie and rejecting the truth. And if you are that man who has rejected the truth and you're still living a lie, and the Bible says there's deceit in your mouth, it's time that you take this rebuke. Stop walking in unrighteousness trust Almighty God to give you grace and forgiveness and move forward and be all that God has purposed you to be. So the job of elders is to understand the condition of people. And in reality, listen, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man is wicked, sinful, stained, stained and in need of Christ. Isaiah 59-2 says our sins has made a separation between us and God. That's man's condition. We need a Savior who can take our place, who can pay our penalty. Because right now, if you have not been found in Christ, you have a death warrant on your head and you will pay the consequence. Which is separation from God in a place called hell. That's the condition of every human heart that's born into this world. Psalm 51.5 says, I was born into iniquity. In my mother's womb, I was conceived into sin. We're all in the same boat. We're all in need of a Savior. Christ has commanded us to go therefore and make disciples, to make converts, to preach the gospel, to share the word of God. Sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. To not pay attention, right? To the false teachings. To reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction, knowing that there will come a day. When they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Wanting to have their ears tickled. So we need to reprimand for God's sake, God's glory. With great patience. And discern the contrast of good and evil. Galatians 5.17 and I'll end with this verse. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against flesh for these two in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you, you want to basically let's begin today not tomorrow today don't stop right now stop worrying about all you did last week the weeks before, the days before, listen, it's over. That's gone. You can't do anything about that. You can't regain that time. But let me tell you what, today can be the first day of the rest of your life. So let us repent, turn back to God, and begin living in the spirit, not in the flesh, so that we can adequately honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be an example to follow as Paul was to Timothy, Titus and Timothy. Let us go today and lead well. Define your purpose and walk in it for the glory of God. The conditions, wickedness. The command is to call it out. The contrast is you'll know them by their fruits. So let us walk for the glory of God today. Thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you are blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.